Blog Talk Radio. Well, it's another gorgeous day here on the planet Earth, and this is your host, Dr. Deb Carlin of The K Factor, where K equals kindness, and the factors are all the things that lead to it. It might sound kind of funny to say it's a gorgeous day here on the planet Earth, but, you know, sometimes I think we forget that when we awaken in the morning, the very first thing that we should do when that top and bottom lid separate, we have our eyes open and we can see and we are breathing and we are taking in the smells of the morning and we can move. The very first thing that we ought to be doing is saying thank you. Do whatever it is that you believe in is the purpose behind your existence so that we start our day in a state of gratitude and appreciation. There's no guarantee that we're going to get the rest of today, let alone tomorrow. One of the things we do know from our experiences of being in this life is that as the day unfolds, things are going to happen that are going to make us feel frustrated to the point of even cuckoo sometimes or unhappy. So the moments that we have available for us, when there's just nothing, it's just awake and pure and lovely, thank you is what we need to start with. And that's a portion of what the K-Factor is all about. It's about finding those places of calm and peace so that we can even tap into our kindness. The show today, as every day, is sponsored by Partners in Excellence, where the goal is to reach in every possible way for the very best of what it is we're working on. And in Build the Strength Within, we're talking about reaching the best version of ourself. And one of the people that I've targeted to be a guest on the show who's with us here today is Rick Berg, and if you go to his website, which is intentionalgrief.com, you'll see when the page unfolds for you the face of a guy who just looks like a complete sweetheart, and he is. He's just smiling, blue eyes, lovely. And when you click on his About Me page, It's amazing. He starts out by saying, so you want to know a little bit more about me? Thanks for clicking on this page. Here are some of the most common questions people ask me. And that is the tone of this man. He talks about being grateful for you wanting to tune into him. He tells you what he enjoys doing and who he is and how he got into it. And so... I think in my conversations, I was inspired by him, by everything from his Canadian accent, <laughs> which I hope will delight you today, to his his attitude that comes through a bright mind and a warm heart. So welcome, Rick Berg, to the show today. How are you? Oh, I'm great, Dr. Deb. It's great to be here with you today. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So tell our friends a little bit about you, because maybe they're not on your website to read about you. Who the heck are you? (laughs) Well, trying to figure that out still. Yeah, we all. Well, tell us, (laughs) what is your mission? Because I love, in the process of, about intentional grief. Talk, Talk about your mission. 
Well, I I think um, you know I have a, a wide mission, but a narrow mission. I mean, I'm really about um, being with people uh, during their transitional loss periods of life. So we know that um, we know that people go through loss every day, some smaller losses, some bigger losses. Um, but my work has, um, you know, over the past 30 years as a pastor and as a counselor and personal experiences has kind of led me into a an area where I say, you know, um, we're going to go through loss. We know that. Um, mm-hmm. We don't like it, but it's going to happen. So what are some intentional ways? What are some things that we can do that might uh, lighten the load a little bit? What are some things that are helpful to our families, to our friends, and to ourselves so that we can really just enjoy every day? Because, you know, even in the midst of the valleys of life, you can still find some good things. There's some wonderful learnings that take place in those uh, dark times as well uh, to bring us out into the light again. So I'm really about empowering people, about giving them tools that might help them to uh, transition from loss, to come out to the other side, to experience joy again. So that's really kind of what my mission is now in my life. What was it? What now? You talk about being a pastor and a and a counselor. Which of those two came first? Well, they're kind of uh, hand in hand, really, because when you're a, when you're a pastor, uh, you're counseling people all the time, um, and you have a wide range of uh, experiences, obviously, because you're dealing with people. Uh, even hospitals, uh, you're dealing with people in care centers, you're dealing with people at the church, uh, people coming in for marriage uh, you know, difficulties or teenagers or spiritual concerns. So it's really a, it, it's really given me a well-rounded experience of transition uh, because I get, you know, I, I was really able to be with people um, prior to losses because um, not everybody goes through a loss every day, they're enjoying life, but all of a sudden, boom, something happens in their life. And so they come. And so, um, really, um, you know, a pastor has a variety of different roles, but always seem to have, um, I guess, perhaps the gift of being a good listener, of uh, of spending time with people and hearing their stories. So, a large part of my ministry, um, besides preaching, of course, was just coming alongside people, and uh, and realized, you know during that process, that this is really my gift. It was kind of the one-on-one uh, caring for people and, and hearing their stories and helping them come out of that loss to experience joy again. And um, that's led me to, a, you know, a full-time uh, counseling practice. Um, and then, obviously, now I'm writing some books on some of my ideas and hopefully spreading the news outside of my own community. So kind of combination of both those uh, kind of work hand in hand really. Yeah, I can I can really see that. The reason I had asked the question was because a lot of times I see that people are doing one or the other, but there's so much there's so much of a blending of the two and in counseling people if we can talk to them about their faith and their faith factor, it really gets to a rich place in this life mm. experience, doesn't it? It re- it really does, and you know um, I-, I love that whole aspect of spirituality in people's lives because, um, however however they understand it, I mean we need to allow people to to go to that place to discover something beyond themselves. I mean uh, you know what, whatever word you want to call it, um, universe or God or, or whatever, but I mean it's just amazing for me because uh, it doesn't matter if 
I've been in the church or outside the church in my secular practice or whether it's, uh, you know, sitting in a bar having a beer or at the coffee shop in a conversation with somebody, uh, I'm often just amazed at how often people want to go deeper into that soul stuff. Uh, you know, saying, you know, there's something, something there that I want to discover. And I think it's really an important part of the whole healing process or important part of life itself to believe yeah. there's something beyond who we are. There's somebody looking after us. There's somebody who has a, has, you know, is, we have a purpose. We have a mission. We have, we have something, there's something about us being on earth that's really important. And for people to discover that and step into that is for me is a really exciting adventure. And what's fascinating, Dr. Deb, for me is often I find that people discover that wider mission uh, during a time of loss when they're going through a difficult time. Yeah. It's because they have chance then to kind of think and reflect and ponder, and they, that's kind of what happened to me. I discovered a little yeah, bit of a dark time. I made note of that. That on your website, you share a part of a very painful story about your first wife Pam. Um, yes. That that's really big. Can you say a little bit about that here? Absolutely. I mean, that's a, a key part of my my uh, ongoing mission, I guess. It came out of that experience. And uh, Pam was uh, Pam was 42 years of age uh, when she was uh, diagnosed with uh, with third stage ovarian cancer, and it, it took us by surprise. I mean, mm. um, we had found, we had uh, you know children who were uh, grade six, eight, ten, and twelve at that time. We had four kids. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, Pam was this amazing, beautiful, vibrant, uh, healthy, living, uh, you know, positive attitude person. I mean, you know, you, you just we were just shocked when uh, we thought what which was going to just be a, some routine surgery um, turned into a, a diagnosis of third stage cancer, and um, so that experience obviously kind of set us back uh, a ton, um, and yet it was. Uh, such an important uh, part of our life. Pam had cancer for five years, mm. so um, we spent five years up and down like a roller coaster with her during that time as a family. But some of the um, some of the lessons, some of the learnings, uh, some of the principles of, of of living forward that we experienced in those times uh, have impacted us today. And difficult as it was, I mean, losing a wife at, at 47 and, and a mom, um, we're thankful for what we learned through that process as well. And Pam taught us, <laughs> through her experience, uh, amazing things that have helped us, I think, to live life fully, really, really fully. And that's, that's part, of my, uh, part of my writings, uh, you know, that talk about that experience and what we learned and, and uh, how, we, how we're doing now coming out of that. So... That uh, that happened when uh, when I was a, a pastor, mm. and uh, and it, you know it's kind of a strange feeling because you know here here I am caring for everybody else and walking with everybody else in life, uh, going through hard times. Uh, but boy, I tell you, it's different when you go through it yourself. I know that now, especially, and uh, it allowed me, I think, to identify with people. I mean, every everyone's different, of course, what they go how they go through life. And experiences that are hard, but um, it just gave me a, a different perspective of life. Period. And 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 my you know my life 
is about um, it, we do live in a broken world. We can't help that. It's, things happen that, you know, bad things happen to good people, as we, we know, and we don't understand why things happen uh, all the time. But um, it's how you hey, approach that. Yeah. Don't you think that one of the things that happens when we are in the midst of something that's really huge that is scary, like a diagnosis of cancer or approaching a surgery or we lose somebody, we're just we're scared and we're stunned. Doesn't it feel to you like that moment and that experience is one that grabs us it's it's nature, it's God, it's universe, it's life grabbing us, grabbing our attention and inviting us to have the courage to walk through a doorway that is all about why it is that this is a lesson that we need not to feel is the end of our life, but it's another step in our life, and we need to look at it and embrace it, not run from it, really sit with it, experience it, feel it, and and come to understand that this really is an opportunity for growth. Because I think that when I was reading your stuff, I was thinking about your term of intentional grief. And, mm-hmm. and it's to me like what I'm describing is what you're talking about don't run, walk through, don't hide, embrace it, let it embrace you. The intentionality, the facing of it, really is an opportunity for so many lessons that are so valuable that if we were having a life that was a day in the park, we'd never be invited to learn. Yeah, that that is so that is so true, you know. And, uh, you know, I, I'm actually, yeah, my second book that I'm writing, uh, at the present time almost finished is called Taking Notice How a mm. Cancer Journey Can Magnify What's Important in Life. Mm-hmm. So it was during that time, you know, as we walked through that journey with Pam, that we began to take notice of things that were really important that we hadn't taken time to examine before because we were such in a rush of life, doing the same thing, you know, uh, just you know, making making life happen as it was, but all of a sudden, and when this when this cancer came, it it stopped us. And, so what and are the it slowed us down. So what are the right? things that you notice that you need to take you need to take time to enjoy and experience? Well, I mean, there's some, obviously there's some there's some really obvious um, things, you know. Um, and one of the stories I shared in my book was we had this uh, this cabin that we uh, that we had built, and uh, I mean, I was on a pastor's salary, so I didn't have a lot of extra money. So, um, but I wanted this cabin to enjoy as a family. So I sacrificed a lot of my time and energy because I had to build it on my own, and I was away from the family a fair amount because I had to do it. I mean, I had no money to pay somebody to help me, so I just did it. And one of the chapters in my books is called "Life Is Bigger Than the Cabin." And what that really said to me is that sometimes, you know, all these things that we think of in the future that we plan for, that we sacrifice for, uh, might not be necessarily worth it in the end. Because what are we taking away from the moment? What are we taking away from the present situation in our life? And the cabin was like everything to me. Like, it was my dream come true. I mean, I built that cabin 
so that Pam and I could retire out there someday. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, here he was, you know, having a wife with cancer, and at that time didn't know if she was going to live or not even. And so I thought, what, you know, like, wow, I planned for us to live here forever together. Yeah. And now I didn't know if that was going to come true, which it didn't. So, I mean, it's a very simple lesson, and yet, you know, I don't know how often people really examine that because we're so busy planning for the future and all the dreams that we want. I'm not saying dreams are bad. I'm not saying that. But if they become more important than the present with the people, with the love, with the experiences that we can have right now, that if it's out of focus, then it's not helpful. I mean, that's just one taking notice lesson, you know, that I learned uh, during my time. Uh, you know, during this five-year uh, time with Pam and our family. So during, so the first lesson is taking notice in the moment of the moment and what we need to appreciate right then, yeah? Yeah. And what would be a second uh, one? Give our audience three of them. What would be the second one? Okay, these aren't really uh, not really in order, you know, uh, at okay. all. But um, um, let me see. Okay. You know, I mean, when... <laughs> I guess you know one of the things that uh, I write a chapter on call, is called taking taking risks before you should. Ah. <laughs> and um, it's really fascinating for me because um, when Pam was diagnosed with cancer, um, I began to uh, search deep within myself on what I was doing and what my yeah. role was. And I'd stepped out of the ministry for a while and took a marketing job and a sales job. And um, during that time when uh, when Pam got cancer, I was just a little part-time pastor, kind of had this thing on the side going just to kind of fulfill my calling, I think. But my main job was being a marketing director, and I had international clients. I traveled around the world. And uh, But when Pam got cancer, I, I had to stay home. I, I had to be with her and take care of her. And so I had to give up that whole part of my life. But what happened was that I began to something began to happen in me. Uh, as Pam began to talk about her purpose, you know, what was her purpose, what was her mission now as one with cancer, began to examine her life, I began to examine mine too. And I wow. thought, okay, it, what if I was had cancer? What, what if I was looking at death in, my, in front of me? Would, would I have been happy to what I've done in my life? Am I doing what God wants me to do and be? Wow. And it was an, an incredible lesson for me because I was always just kind of go-getter and get her done and fast-paced and moving forward. And really, I don't think I understood the importance of sitting still and listening. And um, so it was during this time that I began to examine myself a little bit and God uh, began to kind of uh, jerk my heart a little bit and say, you know, you need to go back into full-time ministry. And I didn't want to do it because I had some not happy experiences with that before and um and and Pam said no if 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 God is calling you to do this we need to honor this and i said mm-hmm. well honey we can't do this because look you're like you have cancer like we we need to take care of you first mm-hmm. and she said to me rick no if this is what god is calling you to do we need to step out into that and i thought i can't take this risk now in my life because i need wow. stability because the only way that I was going to get a full-time ministry job was to move. Well, we had lived in this community for 15 years. It was like our family. It was our community. It was, you know, we knew the doctor. Everything was really, really, it, it was stable for us. 
And I thought Pam needed that. We needed that as a family uh, during this the transition as we went into this cancer journey. And yet, we moved. We picked okay. up. We, we moved, well, three hours away to another community. Wow. But we moved 16 months after Pam's diagnosis, after her first round of treatments as she was recovering and supposedly in, in remission, we packed up everything, sold everything, and moved. And nothing made sense about it at all, practically. It was taking risks before we should. And that principle has really kind of encouraged me in my life now, is that sometimes you know, we want to take risks when everything is in order. Well, tell you know, us how it works. How did it work out? You, you're talking about this absolutely crazy, insane, counterintuitive thing that you did coming from yeah. a woman who was ill, who was ex- exhibiting what you're describing as magnificent courage and encouraging you. How did it turn out? It was unbelievable. It yeah, it was unbelievable. I mean, uh, the transition, um, you know, to our to a new church, a full-time church, it was the perfect church for us. I mean, I'm a... I would say I'm a really odd pastor. I don't fit in into a lot of congregations. Um, and um, But somehow this congregation wanted me. I never put my name out there. I didn't say I wanted to go back into full-time ministry. It's another story. <laughs> but this congregation phoned me. And I mean, here I was giving them my resume. And for the last 10 years prior to this, it was filled with business uh, a business resume, basically, as a marketing director and uh, a sales and, and some kind of ministry things filled in in between. And so I thought, well, they're never going to want, like, I, it doesn't, I didn't look like a pastor. You know, I looked like a businessman more than a pastor to, the, to, 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 to anybody looking on. And yet this congregation in, in just outside of Calgary, Alberta, was a, filled with business people, entrepreneurs and engineers and and all kinds of people who love that kind of spirit. But more so than that, it was the perfect congregation for Pam to be in. It's exactly what she needed as well, not only me and my new career, but for her. It was just the the, the right kind of people who were there. And so the transition went um, very well, very smooth for for us, and we moved in, and, and life, again, just began to unfold and and I stepped into my new uh, vocation, and uh, a couple of our kids were with us. That's, that, that was difficult, hard, um, to transition for them. They're teenagers. But otherwise, it was the place. It was the place where Pam needed to be, and it was the place where she needed to die. Mm. Mm. It was, no doubt. And are you still there? I'm still in the community, but I'm not serving as the pastor anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, two years ago, not quite two years ago, um, I resigned from that church because I got remarried mm-hmm. um, as well. That's another beautiful story. Um, but um, God was saying, okay, Rick, um, I need to write this story now. And I need to write down what I've given to you for the last 54 years of your life. And, you know, I've had so many experiences in 30 years um, in this area of loss and transition, death and dying and grief, that I thought, you know, I'm 54 years of age. It's it's time to multiply my life. Mm-hmm. That's a good thing to do. <laughs> you know, it's time to multiply my life because I've got 
only another 40 years left. So let's, uh, let's, how do you do that? Well, I do that by writing. I do that by my blogging. I do that. I still have a counseling practice set up, you know, where I, where I meet with people in, in this, but my goal and, uh, my goal and, and love is to get this information out there uh, for people to read so that, that it might be helpful to them. Mm. So, um, so again, I've, I've taken another big risk of stepping out of a full-time uh, job, uh, and I think I learned that from our journey there. It doesn't always make sense um, to, uh, to step out all the time, uh, but what is it in you that's calling you to something different, uh, something new, something exciting? So I love what you're describing because you're unfolding for people here during this during this conversation an approach that comes through your experience, but there's an actual process that you're describing. So this being in the moment and appreciating it and then kind of not resting in the familiarity, but really this taking risks before you should beautiful part the next breath without knowing for sure where it's going to lead you and give us one more what would one more of these nuggets of of wisdom be for people who are trying to learn in the midst of their life and, and in the midst of their grief what is another one that you want to share with us here because those two are fabulous Rick yeah um let me see what should I share here. You know, one one of the one of the really beautiful um, lessons I think that I um, that I learned during the cancer journey from Pam was um, I called the chapter "Choosing to Inspire as People Are Looking In." And what I mean by that is um, I was always amazed um, how Pam could inspire people, even in the midst of what she was going through in her life. So here she was, you know, obviously going through the cancer and, you know, uh, you know, into the second year, the third year. She, she was a pretty sick lady. Um, and uh, and yet um, I was always amazed when, when uh, she would always, um, when she'd go for her chemo treatments, uh, she would always choose um, somebody different to go with her. Really? And I used to think, I used to think well, what, why would she do that? But then I realized what she was doing was that she was giving them an experience that was going to help them in the future. Because as she was taking these treatments, and they were, you know, six-hour uh, treatments, they would have these conversations about life, about mm. meaning and purpose. And, and, and people, it was, most, it was all ladies that went with her, and they would, they would, they would actually be phoning me, asking me if, mm. if they could go again with her. Oh, my. Yeah, and I went, well, Why? He said, well, man, it was just like an amazing experience just to, to, to talk with Pam, how she looked at life, how she sees life, how she talked about her family and how she talked about God and how she took this cancer thing and wasn't going to let it, you know, control her. It was part of who she was, but it wasn't who she was, you know what I mean? Like, it, it, didn't, it, didn't, it, didn't, it wasn't her identity. Her identity was still Pam and who mm-hmm. she was as a wonderful person. And so she inspired people um, even during um, these difficult, this difficult time in her life. And, she, and, and so that principle uh, is kind of a part of my life as well. Is I'm thinking, you know, when I, I need to inspire people even when I'm going through hard times. I need to show them that, 
that even though life sometimes is, gives us some hard knocks, you know, what do we do with that? Do we let it drag us down? Or, or do we show that we can come out of this? It doesn't mean that we we shouldn't sit in it for a while. I mean, it's, it's part of our life, and we can feel anger and sad, and we can get lonely a little bit with some of the stuff we're going through. But uh, there is joy, and there is hope. And I think the thing that impressed me about Pam is that she instilled hope in people more than mm-hmm. anything, even mm-hmm. though you know, it didn't look hopeful for her all the time. Mm-hmm. And she just inspired people in a way that um, allowed them to, to seize life in a different way, right to the very end. And it was a powerful, powerful lesson for me. So that, that third valuable piece for for people here in our listening audience is really about believing that no matter where it is you find yourself, there's something there that is a value for you to share if you can just be authentic with it and believe that it is pain-inspiring. Yes. Good? Yes. Yes, exactly. And and it's powerful because, you know, I was thinking this one story um, just quickly here as as, um, there's this one lady who, who came to our house um, every week, and she, and uh, she would give uh, Pam foot rubs because she started to swell quite a bit in her legs. And and um, and I came home, uh, happened to come home one day when they were together, and I was just awestruck because it wasn't Pam who was getting the foot rub. It was Pam giving the foot rub to the lady. My. And I went, I went, oh my word. You know, and I said, Pam, like, and her name was Sherry. She said, Sherry, yeah, she, like, Pam wanted to do this. She said, you've been doing this for me for so many weeks. I want to rub your feet. Oh, my gosh. And I'm telling you, I just, I just broke down. I just broke I down. Bet you. I thought it was an amazing experience of this woman who, you know, she didn't have to do that. She's the one who we need to care for, but she was the one who was inspiring us, and she was really exemplifying the, the whole servant, you know, being a servant for each other, right? You know, we're there right. to serve each other whenever we can in life, however God calls us to do that in our life, you know, uh, kind of, it's kind of like, how can we be kind to one another, you know, really? And it was amazing, beautiful experience for me to to see that. I write about that in my third book, that experience. Oh, my it gosh. Was, it, was, it was near the, you know, it was only probably a couple months before she died, and, Don't uh, you feel that in your work, in your work as a pastor and as a counselor in this area of helping people with their grief and the sadness of this life, that one of the things that we mistakenly do is we put people into their grave while they're still alive. We yes. think that they shouldn't go yeah. out for that. They shouldn't cook that meal. They shouldn't do all these things that are living things, they should rest. <laughs> they should yeah. let us. And when really, as beautiful as it is for us to take care of another person, the, probably the most beautiful thing is for us to allow them to take care of us by allowing them to do what it is that they need to do while they're in their position of their mm. own grief of letting go of life by continuing to 
I I'd never really thought yeah. about it. You gave yeah. that really visual description of your wife yeah. giving a massage to another woman when she was really ill. Yeah, and it's it's so true because you you you, you know we you take away life when you yeah. when you don't allow people to enter into it, and if you're just there to dying is dying is still living, you're, and you know, it takes you're still alive, and it takes a long time sometimes. Absolutely, and there's I mean the 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 Doctor Deb, there's so many amazing stories about. Um, you know, I've been with so many people in palliative care work in my life. Uh, pe- uh, like, you know, people think that, you know, palliative work is hard. I mean, to be with somebody who's dying is hard. But I'm telling you, I mean, they are teachers. They are yeah. teachers uh, in, a, in a way that I could never teach because they're at a place that we're, we haven't been to. And so from that place comes these incredible nuggets, you know, of, of insight you know, of beauty, of wonder, and and you know when I'm uh, with people who are dying and their families, I say to the families all the time, listen, <laughs> listen carefully to what's being spoken, observe, because they're 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 going to be teaching something that might be something that you've never heard before, experienced before, and we we experienced that over and over again in the last three months of Pam's life when she was. Finally, when the doctor finally said, "There's nothing else we can do," right? Which means get ready. Well, I'll tell you. I mean, um, boy, the third book I, I write talks talks about that. You know, it's called mm. Looking Ahead. You know, and so many beautiful stories. But you're, you're so right because, you know, uh, five weeks before Pam died, our uh, our uh, our oldest daughter Kira uh, had a boyfriend, mm. and uh, he phoned me. Uh, to ask if he could see us, Pam and I, privately. So we knew that the, uh, the 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 proposal was going to happen soon, and he wanted our permission to marry uh, yeah. our daughter. Yeah. And he and but it was also his birthday that weekend. Oh. And so um, it was. Um, this is five weeks before Pam died, so she was really weak. She was she was she had a wheelchair to get around the house. Uh huh. And. Uh, and so I come home from coffee, and her and her other daughter, Larissa, are in the kitchen. And I go, Pam, what are you doing? She said, I'm making a cake. <laughs> it's Jared's birthday. I mean, she could hardly she could hardly move her arms. But here she is on the island in the kitchen, putting a crock in a couple eggs. <laughs> I'm sorry. You know what? This is so lovely. She was so alive. The beauty of your story is, uh, you know, Rick, from the moment that I met you and our opening conversations, your authentic self was so available and right there. And and your intelligence and your tenderness and your heart and your humor, you're so available. You empowered. I, I'm hearing the ways in which you empowered Pam to do the living that she was able to do. Mm, yeah, yeah. And, and okay, to put this into a beautiful zone, not just about Pam, who you have paid so much honor to and presented in such a uh, a teaching moment 
teaching life way. But your current wife, Erica, you know, mm-hmm. I keep her in the midst of this because to, for a woman to walk into a world where another woman has had a, an enormous and beautiful presence, she's got to be an amazing woman, an amazing human being mm-hmm. to do that. And the way that you describe her in your writing is really amazing. She sounds like she is just so grounded and lovely and loving and and so uh, unless I'm overreaching here, so appreciative of who it is you had your original marriage with because mm. it's allowed you to be a more powerful partner now than you even were on round 1. You hit the nail on the head there, Dr. Damit. That's exactly what Erica says. You know, um, I met her actually online. And, yeah, I um, saw that. That's amazing. That's yeah. a great story. What kind of blessing is that? Yeah, it's 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 just yeah, it's a strange <laughs> strange because I you know being you know fifty whatever it was fifty one years of age or you know when, when Pam died or forty nine almost fifty and um, you know how do I date at fifty right? I mean, I hadn't right. been for twenty years. I had no clue, and I was scared. Like, I was frightened. You know, and, and, you know, just a prelude to that is that one of the conversations I had late at night with Pam, you know, before she died was was uh, this crazy conversation where she said, Rick, you need to find another wife. And, yeah. uh, of course, I didn't want to hear it at the time, but uh, she gave me permission to move on, and she said, I know you. You cannot do well without a good woman in your life, and which is totally Correct, you know she gave me permission, but here I am, so you know trying to figure out well, how do I do this? I'm serving as a pastor then, and you you know you don't date people in your church that's a no no I'm not going to go to the bar to find a wife, perhaps not, and so what I'm going to do, you know, and I had this lady at the church, it was so funny because she she came to me about a year after Pam died, and she was a very blunt lady, but I love her, and she said, <laughs> pastor, she said um." After church, she said to me, after the worship, Rick, pastor, she says, you need to date now. I went, what? No, <laughs> we, we've, we've been praying for you, and it's time for you to date. And I said, I said Tina, I said, get out, of, get out of here, I said. I can talk to her that way. I'll date when I want to date. She said, no, you, you should get going. We've been praying about that. I said, I don't oh, want to right now. I thought she was trying to set me up with one of her friends or something, right? And then she gave right. me this piece of paper. I said, what's this? She said, it's a dating website. I go, wow. you got to be joking. I'm not going on a dating website. If I want to get a date, I'll get a date. I don't need a dating website to do this, right? And she said, no, you try it. I go, no, I'm not going to try it. So she stuck this piece of paper in my pocket. Well, the next week, after church, she comes up to me again. And she goes, so did you do it? I go, what do you mean, did I do it? She says, did you go on that site? I go, no, I'm not going on that site. She said, Pastor, she said, Every week you stand up here in the pulpit and you say that God can work through anything, anytime, if he wants. You are not practicing what you preach. Oh, my Lord. Bang. She got me. I said, fine. Yeah. <laughs> fine, Nina. So I met Erica online. Uh, she was living in Montreal, which is all the way across Canada. Yeah. She was 45 years old, never been married, single, mm-hmm. choral conductor, Taught the university there, mm-hmm. and um, two uh, two months later, we met in person. Our first date was in Hawaii. 
Yeah, tell me about later. that. How did you have a first date in Hawaii? I mean, what kind of this talk about? <laughs> boy, you you are swinging this pendulum from intentional grief to intentional joy. So talk about that. How do you arrange a first date in Hawaii? That's amazing. That's probably Eric's story more than mine. But um, so we had been talking on the on the phone. You know, we'd never yeah. met uh, prior, and I, I I did that for a reason. You know, I think it's you got to be very careful uh, as you're as you're going through grief that you don't jump too fast. You know, I know that uh, from dealing with other people. So I didn't want to meet somebody in person because some of the physical challenges, right? I mean, you're attracted to somebody. I wanted this to I wanted to develop a relationship with her from a distance, and so uh, we talked and we prayed and we discussed and we had so many things in common. But I was going on sabbatical that summer uh-huh. uh, I was commissioned to do some writing for the association I was part of so I was going on a three-month sabbatical mm. <clears throat> just about the time when Erica and I needed to meet and I told her well I, I I can't meet you because I'm going on sabbatical my first stint for three weeks is actually in Hawaii <laughs> and um, she said well I have one week off this summer because she did a lot of choral workshops can I come and meet you there? I went, are you serious? Are you serious? Well, I was, I was pretty pumped because, first of all, it said something about her, right? Yeah. And uh, and I said, well, um, okay, that that would that would be good. I mean, we were taking a big chance because, I mean, we talk with each other for sure on the phone lots. But, you know, you, you never know if you're attracted to somebody unless you're with them in person. You know, so we talked We talked about that lot. We said, you know, like, honestly, like, if we have to be honest with each other, we're mature people here. If it's, you know, if it doesn't work out, then, you know, we need to, you know, go our own way quickly, right? I mean, there's no use developing the relationship if it's not there. So, you know, we were mature about that. But so, you know, so I went to Hawaii and I was there for two weeks uh, doing some writing. And then she came. Oh, man, Dr. Deb, I was scared. I was I, I was sweating. I was worried. I was thinking, what if this isn't the one? What if this, you know, what's going to happen? I mean, I was hoping it was because I liked everything about her. Yeah. Well, she came off the plane. And I was sitting waiting waiting for her with one of those ladies to give her. And and she uh, walked out down the little aisle there with a suitcase. And I just, the only word I could say was, wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I was... I was thinking, this is, thank you, God. I didn't that's, want to date long. I, I didn't want to have to look around. And, and two days right, later, we're talking right. about getting married. Well, you know so that what? Was our that's, first date. That that reaction is what every guy hopes for and what every woman wants to hear, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I guess she said the same thing too, which is good. So wow. Um, but no, Erica is an amazing, amazing uh, woman. Um, just. Thumb? She she just brought joy to our whole family and our life, and t- for her to move to transition was huge. I mean, she'd been in Montreal all her life, coming out west, leaving a tenured job. Um, you know, she became a a wife, a pastor's wife, a stepmom, and a grandma all in the same year. Oh my goodness! That, that's a lot of changes. <laughs> you know, but one um, of the things that I hear throughout. <laughs> my experience with you and it started in our first conversation and it certainly has been all through this conversation is you have got this core of 
genuine kindness that just runs through you and the and the two women in your life that you're talking about echo that and i'm wondering mm-hmm. where did it come from for you where did mm-hmm. you where did you come from in terms of your heart and your spirit that kindness is so threaded through you you know i thought about that uh, yesterday a little bit in preparation for today and i couldn't help but think back to my family of origin and yeah. to uh, my family um and the family that i that i was part of um they exuded kindness like my mom and dad yeah. were amazing people i'll tell you a quick story i was thinking about this um i call it stinky peter <laughs> and uh, when I was when I was in grade three, we were living in a small community, mm. and my mom um, used to volunteer to visit at one of the uh, care centers, the senior centers, and she would always find people who didn't have families, mm. and mostly it was bachelors, huh. and she found these two bachelors, and one was named Peter, uh-huh. and every time that we would have a family holiday you know, Christmas, Easter, Thanksgiving, whatever, she would invite Peter over for dinner. And at the time, I remember my brother and my sister, and I said, oh, my word, like he stinks. Like Aww. he did. Like he never, he, you know, when he'd sit down at the table, and and we'd go, oh, Mom, do we have to invite Stinky Peter over? And she'd go, don't call him that. Why, why do we have to invite him over? And she'd say, because he doesn't have a family, and we're going to be our family. We're going to be his family. And um, so he would come over, and uh, you know, after after a few times, we actually started to love Stinky Peter. <laughs> you know, he became part of our family. We would ask, well, when he, "Is Peter coming over this time?" Because he was uh-huh. just a lonely guy who needed a family, and and this small uh, gesture of kindness uh, was part of our family. I mean, we had we had foster children in our home. You know, mm. we took care of these kids in our home, and. Um, and, you know, at first, again, you know, kids were going, well, do we have to give up our, our toys? Do we have to give up our bed? Do we have to share a bedroom? Well, yeah, you do. Because that's yeah. what you do when people are less fortunate than yourselves. You, you're kind towards them. And so I think a lot of that, I think a lot of that kindness actually came from, um, you know, the mentoring of my parents and watching them and how they uh, responded in life. For them, it wasn't about materialism. It wasn't about having you know, all these extra things. It was is is about, you know, okay, we're going to be the ones who cared for the pastor. We're going to invite them over for supper. We're going to paint their house. We're going to, you know, um, we're going to do things for, in the community. My my dad was, a you know, a, a scout leader, and my mom was a brownie leader, and they just volunteered um, in so many ways beyond their own family. And for me, I think that's where kindness starts, is when you start to look beyond your own family, because we're supposed to do that in our own families. But what does it mean when you start extending yourself out to people that you don't know, who who mm. do need that, you know? And um, just, and just yeah, I mean, kindness for me is, you know, I was, I was in a restaurant one time, and I was, a waitress was there, and it was during noon hour, and, and she was so, like, she was the only one on. And it was a busy restaurant. And people were... When's my order coming? And you know, when am I going to get here? And you know, like she was just like stressed out. And she came to me and I said, "Just hey, don't don't worry about me now." I said, "Come back when it's slow." You know, I'll have a cup of coffee. You know, and the restaurant kind of uh, 
died down. And people were leaving. Then finally she came. I said, just sit down for a minute. Because I was like, only a couple of people in the restaurant. I said, sit down. And I said to her, you know, I said, man, you are one gifted and talented lady. And she looks at me. She goes, what do you mean? I says, well, I, I can't believe what you did in the last 45 minutes. I could never do this, I said. Man, you are amazing. I said, I'm thankful that you're my waitress today. Well, she just started crying, right? Oh, yeah. Because... Because it was like she just needed to be thanked and appreciated, and 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 I thought, you know, I all I did was say a couple of nice words, you know, and I, and I meant it. It wasn't phony. I meant what I said to her. You but know, that's why she. Come. But you know what, Rick? Yeah. That that's a beautiful story, and and what goes through my mind as as you, as a visual as you're describing that whole scene is she filled your cup with coffee right. and you filled her cup, her heart, her spirit with authentic appreciation. Imagine how empty she must have been in order for your words to have moved her to tears. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no yeah, no. No, you're you're so right and I yeah. Oh boy. So was your dad as a as gracious and lovely as your mom? Yeah, he was. I mean, my dad died um, just before Pam, actually, about a year year and a half before Pam died. So I was dealing with two terminally ill uh, loved ones at the same time. That was a hard story. Anyways, my dad was a banker mm. um, all his life. But I remember so. Uh, I, I remember now, even now, once in a while, I run into somebody in his hometown where he worked for a number of years, um, you know, I tell you a story about my father um, saying, you know, my, your father gave me my first loan when he shouldn't oh. have. Wow. But this is what happened because of it. And so I think my dad always, again, looked to the good of the good of people all the time and always gave him the benefit of the doubt. And again, he was always involved heavily into the to the community as a volunteer wherever he was but he was a very he was an only child too in his in his uh upbringing um so he 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 had a um kind of a i would say you know being the only child like his his parents his mom taught him how to sew and to cook and to clean and you know back then those days he didn't do that right and that was a long time ago but he had this kind of um he had a feminine part of him too, I think. You know, like his feminine part came out because um, he he had lots of empathy uh, for people. I mean, he would he would emotionally, um, uh, uh, you know, get turned turned on emotionally with people. He'd have tears, he'd cry, and and he was very authentic and very very deep uh, deep thinker as well. Mm. So he was. Uh, both my parents were just they were just they were, and, and I, I give. Thanks to God that I had parents who were that way and, mm-hmm. and, and helped me to to evolve. Hopefully, in that way as well. It's a it's a lot to be grateful for. Mm-hmm. It is. So, in your in your work now, what would you like for our audience to stay tuned to, with respect to what you're doing, and where they can find you, and how can they get? your good energy and your brand of health because I hear so much coming from you that could be helpful to so many people. 
Where do we find you, and how do we stay tuned? What do you want us to do? Well, I mean, my my first first three books are coming out this spring. I'm, it's kind of strange to bring three out at once, but mm. I decided that um, they're they're kind of they're, they're Pam's story weaves through them, all three of them. Yeah. So I wanted to share the story of our of our journey with her as she was diagnosed. That's why the first book is called Finding Anchors. It's what we did in the first three months. Mm-hmm. It kind of brings stability to our life. And the taking notice is the five years in between before she died, and looking ahead is the last three months of her life. And uh, the thing is that I want people to know that um, uh, the books are all about hope. They're all about hope in the midst of the valley, in the midst of the hard time. And I know, you know, my my subjects are not easy to, to read because who wants to read about this stuff? Even you know, it's hard. You're going through this stuff. But I think there's stories of inspiration. Uh, there's stories of hope. There's stories of joy. There's story of deep meaning of how how we can manage life and not only manage life, but come uh, come into this life and to experience even something more than what we have because of this uh, challenge. And it's and it's. I just hope that people will 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 come. I guess come to the website and to look at the books, but to 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 be empowered. I mean, I call it. I provide. The tools for mm-hmm. transitioning through loss. So my books are are very practical. And again, I'm not saying that it's one size fits all. I mean, all mm-hmm. of us are different as human beings. Um, but I've been using these in my practice, in my ministry. These are not just my my stories, but I've learned so much from people the last 30 years of my life. You know, um, that I want to I wanted to put these into a format so that other people can be blessed to benefit of it like I have because I mean 25 years into my ministry I had all these life experiences all these people teaching me to enter into my experience would help me so if this can be helpful to people um, I'm thankful you know Mm -hmm. I'm thankful so I'll give people updates to my intentional grief website. Um, I have a, I have a, you know, some free information on there too. If people want to uh, find a little bit more about my work and w- what my approach is, intentional grief. I wrote a small report there um, on my website. People you can download. Have, you have a really good blog that people can read, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you a little bit in the way of a commercial here because I, I think that people could really benefit from this. If you go to intentionalgrief.com and you click on coaching, what you can find is that you can hire Rick as one-on-one in person or one-on-one via Skype, which I can tell you is really amazingly personal. And you offer the same thing in the way of counseling. So... Mm-hmm. Are two options that people can have, and you make it really easy by telling people that they can press a button and get to the punchline on how it all works and what sorts of things they need to do. Which, boy, that's really helpful. That's really helpful. Thank you. You bet. Well, we're down to the last few minutes. This hour has flown by, hasn't it? Oh, it sure has, and well, thank you so much for having me. You bet. I would. I I'm curious. Have you ever thought about doing an online course or a webinar? I have, and I, I will. <laughs> you know, I um, 
again, time, right? I want to finish these first three books, and, and the fourth book is going to be my grief book. And my fifth book is actually going to be Erica and our story together. I love so, that. Um, yeah, they're, they're, I'm so excited about them, you know, and and, uh, and and yeah, I mean, her story and my story is a, is a miracle story for for us, and the way she entered into our family's life is is amazing, and and that's helpful for people because a lot of people are getting married second time around, um, and uh, not just through divorce, but you know, a second marriage after a, a death, and there's some important lessons that uh, uh, that are really uh, crucial as you do that again. So. Um, yeah, no, I'm excited about, and I will, I will do some online stuff and webinars in the future, and I'll let people know if they come to the website. And you know what? We'll have you back again so that you can promote it and share with people the good news about all that. And um, I really appreciate your time this morning, Rick, and your candor and your ability to be authentic and genuine and educational with us today. So thanks a million. Thanks, Deb. Take care, okay? Yeah, you too. All right, friends, that was our wonderful guest for today, Rick Berg. I hope that you enjoyed what it was that you heard here today, and I hope you exercise your hands and go to the computer and go to intentionalgrief.com and look at the materials that he's got there. You know, in Build the Strength Within, I talk a lot about the process of grief as well, and you can get a hold of Build the Strength Within, my book, which is on Amazon.com, and you can get a sneak preview of it either on Amazon or on my website at drdebcarlin.com. I hope you have a wonderful, beautiful, gorgeous day wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Just remember that you have this moment. Appreciate it. It's one of the messages from our guest today. And take the risks that you have no business taking. (laughs) Take them in good faith. And tune back again soon. This is your host for the K Factor, where K equals kindness, and the factors are all the things that lead to it. Signing off today, Dr. Deb Carlin. Bye.